Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency. And before we get started on this episode, I would like to draw your attention to a special Christmas holiday offer for Americano listeners. If you sign up now, you'll be able to take advantage of this offer. It's just $79 for an annual subscription. Plus, you get a free Amazon gift card worth $20. And as an added inducement to Americano listeners, if you go to spectator.us forward slash holiday and enter the code Americano in capitals, you will get a further $5 off your annual subscription. So what's not to like? Please do sign up. I'm joined today by the great American writer Michael Lewis, who is author of many famous books, including Liars, Poker, Moneyball and The Big Short. His latest book, The Fifth Risk, is about federal government in the time of Trump. And Michael was in London this week promoting the new paperback edition of The Fifth Risk. And I caught up with him in the British Museum, Uh, So please excuse the slightly dodgy audio. Michael and I were sitting in the downstairs cafe uh, and he kindly bought us some sandwiches, um, which is why, as well as sort of background hubbub, you may also be able to hear some appalling eating noises. Anyway, I hope you can hear it clearly and I hope you enjoy it. But let's talk about the book. First of all, I um, noted that you um, uh, dedicated Tom Wolfe. And it reminded me a little bit of the right stuff. But it was like a, a policy wonk version of the right <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and I think, I mean, well, first of all, I think the last time we met, we spoke about Tom Wolfe and, and, you know, you said I should get in touch with him and try and interview him about Trump, which I did, but it didn't, didn't work out. No, right. It didn't? It didn't, no. No, sadly, he didn't get back to me, but he, he was obviously ill already. Yeah. I mean, what do you think someone like Tom Wolfe would have thought of Trump? He'd watch it as great comedy. Yeah. Wolf was convinced, you go into his letters in the New York Public Library, and he explains when he's quite young as a reporter, even when he's at the Washington Post, that the government is, it's pointless to try to write stories about the American government or American politics, because he's, he said it, it's just this, it's this freight train that's on a track, and it's going to keep going, No, you know, the left will shout at it, and the right will shout at it. But they'll just keep going down the track. There's nothing's really serious about it. Yeah. It's never. It's not at risk. So he was. He found it totally uninteresting as literary material. I suspect he'd still think that. Could be wrong. The Trump. Trump might be the thing that persuaded him that it was literary material. But I think you'd take an interesting. Trump is a is a wolf fictional character. Yeah. I mean, he's a version of Charlie Coker in Men in Full. Yeah. Uh, right. Charlie Coker is savvier in some ways mm. more vulnerable but but so what i think well i think he'd be watching it as a comedy and i think he'd be indifferent to the tragic aspects of it well and do you think if he read your book if you read this book would he be really, interested in it he'd say valiant attempt michael to make bureaucrats interesting <laughs> <laughs> that's what he'd say well, I feel brave like... of you to have a go at it well because sometimes <laughs> better you than me lad <laughs> I found it quite challenging sometimes because, you know, as a conservative, I do have this sort of government right. always sucks instinct, and yet you present these sort of amazing stories of people who do incredible things what within is, this huge federal yes. juggernaut. Right. Seventy percent of the American government is the seven percent of the employees are one way or another national security. There's not that much left after that. There's a post office and some other things, but yeah. it's it's it's. Um, 
when you start kicking around inside the place, it's, I didn't have to strain very hard to look to find characters. There's, there, there are so many people doing things that aren't just pushing paper, that they're there for some particular reason, and that they could be doing quite well for themselves outside in the private sector, especially in the science stuff. Yeah. The, the, the scientists who one way or another in the government, for one reason or another in the government, they're all people who could be at universities or corporations, or and they're in the government because it's a point of maximum leverage. Yes. So did you read the bit about the guy at the very end? Yes. The, 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 the oceanographer? The last chapter. Yeah. It's completely true. So it's a cherry-picked list because it was a list of people who had been um, not just uh, deemed inessential by the government during the shutdown, but also had been nominated for this award. Yeah. But there were hundreds of people on it. And I didn't know, I just said, I'm going to take the first name on the list and see who this person is. And I had to go no further. This was it, the Sammies? Because the, 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 Sammy. the guy who invented the Sammy sent you him his, his sent me the all, list. The whole list. Right. And I just took the name off the top of the list. It's a really good story. Yeah. I, I could, I got so interested in it that I thought, you know, you could do a whole book about search and rescue. Because the stories, the individual stories are so good, and I just leave it all on the cutting room floor and remind myself the point was this dude. But think about that. I picked that name off the top of a list because he's, he's Arthur A. Allen, and he's the top of an alphabetized list. But I go see him, and not only is the material so good, it basically writes itself. He, if I hadn't go, gone and seen him, the story would never have gotten told. Yeah. Nobody can't, nobody's paying any attention to it. So there's that over and over and over again inside the federal government. Stories that, and they don't get told because the people in the government now think if you're from the press and you're here to talk to them, you're here to eviscerate them. Yes. So they hide. That's, and the only reason he talked to me was he just retired. So yeah. he's no longer exposed. Uh, so I could, I could get to him. Um, they don't have any sense. So he had no sense of himself as like a great story. In fact, when I called him, I said, um, I know I told him what I was up to. I think I told him I had this book. I was going to add something in the back of the book. But all he heard from me was I had seen the Sammy Awards list, and he thought I wanted to come talk for that reason. When I was, I went and spent three days with him. When I was leaving, he sends me a text. And the text says, hey, you're an author. And I said, Y yes, I'm an author. He goes, I didn't know you. You wrote books. My son says you've written books that people, have, a lot of people have read. <laughs> and I said, and then they were going back and forth. I'm in the car to the airport. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's why I was there. He goes, that's incredible. Great. I, and I said, well, what did you think I was there for? And he said, I thought you just wanted to learn about search and rescue. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought you had something to do with Sammy Awards, and you had something you want to learn about search and rescue. I said, no, no, no. I'm this guy who writes these books and. You're going to be famous, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, be, I'm going to make you the most famous oceanographer in the world, <laughs> and and uh, move over Jacques Cousteau, and and he was just completely befuddled. So let me show you the picture. So, and now he's now there've been TV shows made about him now, and he's been featured in magazines. And he sent me a note yesterday. I was going to see Ian McKellen's one man show yesterday, yeah. and I was walking into the theater, and I get this from this guy. He, he's so excited. Um, he sends me this. He's giving away the book as a Christmas present. <laughs> as a Christmas That's present. Lovely. Yeah. Is he signing it? He's signing it. Yes, <laughs> and sending awesome. it off to friends. Uh, but but he couldn't. 
he couldn't, he got to the point in his head, he couldn't imagine why people would think it was interesting unless you had some narrow fear, subject matter interest. Yes. And that he himself, not a character in his own mind, that the world would want to know. I mean, I about, find it unbelievable. About somebody, saving lives, yeah. Not just saving lives, but like figuring out how all this crap drifts on the ocean mm. and that, and turning it into algorithms. And he's like moneyballing search and rescue. Right? This It's, to me, riveting. And that you can, you know, pluck a person out of the sea who otherwise in any other moment in human history would just be dead. And that the stories that get written are all about the guy who dropped into the war and got the guy out of the sea. And nobody asks how they found him. Yeah. Like nobody, it's, it's like taking the knowledge for granted. Well, but without him, none of it happens. Well, that was, in fact, before I got to that chapter, it struck me that you know, this, this, this is another data book in a way, isn't it? It's like, like the Undoing Project. It is was, a bit. It is a bit. Uh, and obviously Moneyball too. It is a bit. And you seem to be drawn to this, the science, the stuff that... You progress. Know, progress. It's nice to, progress is appealing. Yes. Even to the spectator, it must be appealing. Yes. Up to a point. Well, up to a point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? Don't want to get carried yeah, away yeah, with no, it. No, yeah. I understand that. I understand that there are limits, but... Well, uh, yes, and also I, I guess that that's what you set Trump against, is, this, is the sort of the, the ignorance, you know, and you, you talk about how ignorance has this sort of short-term advantage. Uh, I, I think didn't appreciate you know, that until, yes. The willful ignorance, you call yeah, it. Yeah, until, until I watched him. And I think watching him, if you, if, if you just deny the, the importance of knowledge and you, then, and you say, I know everything anyway. So to the point where you're actually offended when someone tries to explain something. Like, did you see, this is a very telling moment, I think, in his presidency. Three or four months ago, Two, um, two women astronauts walked in space together. You notice this? I didn't see yeah, it. Yeah, you wouldn't have noticed, right? But they, they were up there, they got out of the capsule, they did a little thing together and they got back in. Um, and it was historic only because two women had never walked in space together, but women had walked in space. Yeah. A number of them, famous astronauts. Um, One of them is in this book. Right. Yeah. Yeah, she was the first American woman to walk yeah. in space, right. So that's how I, that's why I was paying attention because I because I know and the, in the course while they were doing their spacewalk as a publicity stunt for NASA they called the president and the cameras were in Trump's office while he took the call and he goes he picks up the phone and he goes oh hey yeah uh, you know congratulations it's great you're the first women to walk in space kind of thing and they go there was a pause and you could hear they were like oh so, uh, with all due respect Mr. President just so you know other women have done this and we just have, and as they start to tell him that, that they're not the first to give him that, he does this. He, puts, he, gives, him, he gives him the finger. He goes, he does this with his, like, where he, and he gets angry that someone's telling him something and revealing his ignorance. Yeah. So he, that he's, he set himself up so that knowledge that's presented to him is almost an insult because it implies that he doesn't know everything he needs to know already. Operating from a position of almost total ignorance, I think gives him, the advantage it gives him is that you, you really don't have to, it's, if you want to ignore the consequences, if you want to not worry about the problem of managing the federal government, mm -hmm. just don't know anything about it. I mean, like, if you don't know what you don't, what you don't know won't hurt you kind of thing. But, but for Trump, it means he can invent these sort of cartoon things like Space Force. Anything. 
yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So he can... He's starting from scratch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Yes, that's exactly right. And I think he just... He, for him, it's, it is strategy, but it's, that it's more like lizard brain survival in Manhattan real estate strategy that he somehow learned as a young person that if he, if he created chaotic environments, um, he'd do better than if, it was an, if the environment was orderly. Um, that if, when you create an environment where you destroy trust in any, any source, yeah. then anything that comes out of your mouth is just as good. Because it's not an argument against Freddie who knows something against Michael is just full of shit. It's, I, first I tell everybody that Freddie's fake news, Freddie's a liar, Freddie doesn't know anything, experts don't know what they're talking about, and then it's just you and me shouting at each other. Yeah. And you can choose to believe who you want to believe. Um, so I think he figured out that's the best way for him to compete, is that he does better when he eliminates the possibility of actual knowledge, uh, verifiable knowledge, independent knowledge. No, it's just people shouting at each other. Yeah. Um, and now we'll see what that means. The truth is that bad, some bad things have happened to the, because the government wasn't being run all that well. But it's been okay. I mean, yes. it'll, it'll be interesting to see what what are the consequences of. I mean, if we get eight years of this. I, yeah. uh, I don't think we will. But well, I think uh, you know, Balfour said few things matter. Uh, nothing matters very much, and few things matter at all. Who said this? Uh, Balfour, oh, the, oh, right. the prime yes. minister. And I think that about Trump. You think like, does it really matter? But then you well, read this, this book. Well, you think about the, what, that's right. you know, what you call so the fifth risk. This is what you do. You kind of make it. You have to make it. So, I think Wolf would have been more inclined to see it as just pure comedy because it doesn't matter than I. Yeah. I don't think it's. I don't think it's pure comedy. I do think, though. I do think it's possible that if Trump loses next time, that it is that it can be seen. It, 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 the story is a comic story because there are a couple of good things that come of what he's done. One is it's gotten a lot of. A lot of people have gone and gotten themselves a civics education who didn't, who didn't. Like, nobody gave a shit about the Department of Agriculture or <laughs> Commerce. Or, now people are actually interested. Yeah. So that, that's not a bad thing. Um, and two, the, like, the federal government, it's not like it was this model of uh, efficiency and, uh, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it's, it has not been a well-run operation, not because of the people who were there, but because of the, the structure of the place, the incentive. Hard to fire people, hard to hire. It takes six months to hire somebody. But the young person is going to wait around for that. Um, not no investment in basic technology. The fact in here, it's I, in some ways the most alarming and revealing is that there, there are five times more people over the age of sixty in in information technology than under the age of thirty. Yeah. I mean, nobody over the age of sixty knows they use their phone, and that's the government workforce in information technology. It's just, it's a badly, it's a, it, it's not been. The resources have not been given to it, so it can do what it's supposed to do well. You can argue about what it's supposed to do. Yeah. You know, you can argue whether it should do less or more, but whatever it's supposed to do, it should do that well. And uh, well, the, it I should mean, be, be able to do it well. And right now, I can't really do it well. The, the fifth risk is uh, the, the danger of. Um, the, I think of it as the. I, what I, it was. It was in that conversation with that guy who was listing for me the risks in the energy department. Process management board. Uh, well, you know, it was he got the way he got the thing that struck me was he had four on the tip of his tongue, 
and the fifth he couldn't put it, he couldn't put his finger on right away. And I thought that's actually the story. It's sort of like we don't know what's going to happen in this massive enterprise. It's probably the thing that's going to blow up is the thing we're not paying attention to. Mm. It's like not not salient. And so that's what I thought. Is that there's this, there are hundreds of risks in there that yeah. are being managed and. Mm, there's something we're not talking about that's going to be on the front burner soon. And that, what, what is that? But these, th that risk is built into democracy in a way because it, democracy only responds to these problems when there's a crisis, right? True. If everything's going well, nobody pays any attention right. as you, you explained. And I think in the book, are you, are you alarmed at the fact that Trump makes this already existent risk much worse? Yes. And you're really alarmed by that. Not no, that right, no, right. so this yeah. all starts with me in, after the election, having this fe this feeling that I was in more danger. Yeah. I just felt I'm in more danger. My kids are in more danger. It wasn't big, it was little, but I noticed it. Yeah. And I, and I realized that I was probably the least affected, yeah. rich, white, American dude. And if I felt that, that, that a lot of other people are feeling that same thing for different reasons. And I want to know why I felt that. And I felt that because I just sensed those, those like, government manages this portfolio of risks, I could assume that they cared about it until now. And now I can't be sure. But do you think you liked it because, I mean, you were an Obama friend and fan. Yep. Uh, and I mean, do you regard the replacement of Obama with Trump as a, as a tragedy? I would, so, I don't know. I don't know how it's gonna end. <laughs> it's sad. Yeah. Uh, so sad. Capital S. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's um, uh, so uh, so I don't think it, it has to be a tragedy. I think it, I think it could all end okay. Yeah. But right now, I'm not feeling it great. Uh, and what do you think about Obama now? I mean, do you think do you still regard him as a as a as a I don't know if you regarded him as a great president, but do you still regard him as a very Good man in the office. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I know. It hasn't really changed my opinion of Obama. Yeah. It has changed my opinion slightly about what happened when Obama was elected. Yes. Um, I said this to him I, that, that I thought that. So the story when he's elected is America elects a black man president. I think the story should have been America elects a writer president <laughs> because the fact that he was black disguised everybody from the fact that he is not like a politician. He is just his personality is not, a, he's not transactional. Yeah. It's like almost anti-transactional. Yes. Um, he was, was more like writers I know. And if that character had been, had a more conventional appearance, if he'd been a white guy or even a white woman, I think people would have noticed and been bothered by that. Yeah. Um, but he, um, Trump's election, among other things, to me, um, revealed that 20% of America went crazy when a black man was like president. I mean, I think that's part of it. That's part of what's going on with Trump. Just part. It's not a story of just racism. But I know the racism. I yeah. come from the place where the racism is most on the surface, and uh, not Berkeley, New Orleans. But it's a, uh, it's a. Uh, I think that's that, that Trump is partly a reaction to Obama, yes. especially that. But then again, quite a lot of the, the yeah, people so, that voted. So, so the, other thing, voted the other thing that 
when I rewind the tape of the Obama administration, knowing what we know now. But even at the time, I was irritated. So that so I thought we were going to rewind it and do the things that I would never have thought to do at the time to, to improve situations. But to rewind the tape and go back to the thing that when they did it, it bothered me. It was bailing out the banks. Then and I can understand totally why it was done. Um, but the anger that led to Trump can be traced right back to the financial crisis and the, feel, the feeling, totally justifiable feeling that elites play by a different set of rules than everybody else, that they get socialism, the government steps in and saves them, and the rest of us are stuck with capitalism. Yeah. That the system's, and more clearly, the system's rigged, yeah. right? The whole Trump is, people don't feel the system is rigged, they don't respond to the, the sounds that come out of Trump's mouth. It's all about, I mean, the amazing thing about Trump is that he's on the, he's a beneficiary of the way that the system is rigged, but he manages to convey a sense of grievance. So he, he's always like the guy who got robbed. Yes. Right? Um, and so he, the people who feel like I got robbed really respond to it. You know, they got robbed because there are lots of different ways people feel robbed or reasons they feel robbed. They feel robbed because it used to be more important to be a white person than it is now or more important to be a guy. But they also feel robbed because, like, those assholes on Wall Street did this. And and we're, I get to pay the price. Uh, it's my town that's paid. So, I think that, that if you go back and you could do one thing to stymie that feeling in the land, you'd have a lot more Old Testament vengeance. That's what they, that's, that was the line they used at the time because I got out in the Obama administration to, to dissuade people from feeling it, that we don't need any Old Testament vengeance here. Um, but we actually did. Yeah. And there should have been a lot more of it. Well, that's why there's a lot of this extraordinary talk of among evangelicals of, of Trump as a sort of King David figure a kind of in, <laughs> <the most> incredible <laughs> thing. a sort of imperfect vehicle of God's will but also I mean with, with Brexit you have you yeah, I mean you know it is it, it, there is this thing that the more preposterous an event is or most or more improbable the more it lends itself to that interpretation yeah. how else is it I mean there's, the only way Donald Trump gets to be president is if God wants him to be president. Yes. How else would he get there? Yes, it's too weird otherwise. Yeah, yeah. it's too weird otherwise. Yeah. yeah. I, well, and I, and Do you I, think Trump is president because God wanted him to be president? I think all things happen because God wanted to happen in some way. But I think um, uh, with Brexit, I know exactly what you mean about the 2008 and the bailing out. I think that those things are very much related. And I think among certainly among Leave voters and among Trump voters I've spoken to, there's a strong sense of nothing really matters anymore. Mm. And I think that comes from, in a capitalist society, when you say, actually, money doesn't really mean anything because we'll just bail them out. Right. Uh, and so... You'll pay, you, don't, you don't have to suffer the consequences of your failure. And so none of the rules matter anymore. Right. Um, and that's why you couldn't... It was a big problem. It was a bigger social problem than anybody imagined at the time. Yeah. There was going to be a more of a longer-term political problem. The calculation was, all right, if we actually just let nature take its course and all these banks fail, there's going to be a depression. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the and people, the people, the kind of people who are now outraged that those banks were bailed out would be much worse off yes. if we had not done it. That's true, as far as it goes. There was, there's, there, there, but there, there, there was, were certainly ways 
to at least to at least punish individuals so that you slaked people's need for, for justice. Yes. Uh, it was so obviously unjust. Uh, so, but would it would it necessarily have meant uh, the kind of epic depression that everybody? I mean, it, I remember in Boomerang you wrote a brilliant chapter. I think it was from one of your Vanity Fair. It would have been interesting to see what happens if you let the banks go down, yeah. or if you just nationalise it, right? Well, so Iceland, you, right? Right. Yeah. So if you just if you just nationalise the banking system, I think the Treasury probably thought we don't have the capacity to do it. I mean, this might go back to like the government being starved of resources. I, I don't. I wasn't there. But um, that seemed to be, that would be one alternative. They're going to fail, and if there was no banking, we'd have a problem, but we can do the banking out of the Treasury. They're all now owned by the government. Yeah. Shareholders are wiped out. Yeah. Employees gone. All these people, all the CEOs, not going to get their money. Nothing. Uh, that's kind of what should have happened. Yes. It, 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 they all should have gone down. Um, even the ones, I mean, it's funny that, Goldman and J.P. Morgan both had an argument that we were the two smart ones, right? Like we weren't, we weren't actually short, or we weren't long the subprime mortgages. We were short. Mm. Uh, in the case, we actually makes them even more sinister in some ways. They didn't even believe the shit they were creating. But, but the um, if you let everybody else go down, that had gone down with them, and they would have had the probably strongest case that really this isn't. This isn't fair. Yeah. But uh, I think at that point, I mean, the politics we would. I don't you think the politics would be now very different if you let that happen? Yes. yes. I think. Well, you wouldn't have. I mean, we were talking about Tucker Carlson earlier, yeah. and I don't know if you saw last week he did a big section on vulture capitalism, and for a primetime Fox News host to be doing an angry section about Paul Singer and vulture capitalism is is something that just would be unimaginable. I think, yeah. I mean, it, well, I wonder how the Murdochs feel about it. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's a it's a I mean, it's a delicate. It is a yeah. Del- yeah. He's in a he's in a he may be crosswise with his owner. Yeah. Uh, and certainly they've had advertisers pull out. Have they? Yeah. Uh, Not because of that, though. Uh, I think actually it was well. I think they have had people pull out because of the anti-corporate stuff. But I think also it's uh, you know when he, when he got accused of racism and right. things like that. No, that's part of it. it, it, it um, Tucker sounds like Huey Long sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it really. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's, and I, I haven't listened to the program very much. I'd love to hear him uh, honestly on the subject of Trump. What, yeah. he, what he actually makes of Trump himself. Yeah. What do you think he makes of Trump? Uh, I think he, um, well, he probably, he has his ear to a certain extent, so he probably can't say it, but I think he would think he was uh, fairly ridiculous and would find it funny. Right, if he's present. I think he, yeah. Um, But I think he'd also think it's an inevitable, the Republican Party has failed in so many ways, it's inevitable that it's going to be eaten alive. You go back to those early debates where Trump is just insulting everybody. Yeah. It seems so unlikely. That he anything's going to come of this. Yes, there's no way he thought he was going to win. Yeah. So that's that. It starts with that. Is that he was having fun building his brand and becoming more famous than he'd ever been. Mm. But it was supposed to stop kind of right before he got to the White House. Yeah. And he got to the White House, and now I think he's acclimated himself and 
I don't know whether he's happy or unhappy with his there. I don't know if he, if he could rewind the tape if he'd take the job. I think he probably would. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's probably really just, I mean, just, he likes the attention. Yes. Um, but, but it partly explains the total absence of preparation. Or, or, you know, and, and well, that's got, at the beginning of this yeah. book, is that yeah, right. fascinating yeah. stuff with Christie and right. the only way to persuade him that it was worth building a transition camp team was, was I think, by saying, it imagine if like it gets out that you don't think yeah, you're going to win. Yeah, right. yeah, that's right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, well, in the book, this sort of unpreparedness and this unwillingness to engage with these huge federal structures yeah. which you're running which you're running yeah is extraordinary and i mean i suppose the amazing thing is it's actually is that it hasn't fallen apart. No. so i don't know what the whole story is yet and if you i would not i wouldn't bet money that something really awful isn't going to happen yeah. between now and the time he's whatever he's done but i think what's happened is it's diff- the story is different from place to place. So there, there are places he's... So I have friends who work in the, uh, e- for the EPA. Mm. They, f- they find their jobs a little harder to do, but they're still doing their... They're still basically doing their jobs. But I think there are places where the civil service has sort of stepped up and just continued Obama-era policy. The problem is they're supposed to... The civil service is waiting to be told what to do. Yeah. If the person in charge has no idea or is not even there... The best they can do is just keep doing what they were doing. Mm. So I think one of the funny side effects in places in the government where Trump has, where attention has not been focused at all, is it's a continuation of the Obama government. Yeah, I think you've got some of that in places, um, just without formal leadership, just people stepping up and, and administering where they don't actually, they're not even, they're not supposed to be doing it. There are other places where I think there is quite a bit of damage being created. Like, like I, the consumer financial protection, that you know, that border between uh, ordinary Americans, ordinary Americans meaning Americans with liabilities, not assets, um, and and consumer finance is a really toxic border. That the the the, um, the ability to prey on people when you're dealing with complicated financial stuff is incredible. And I've just had, have you listened to any of my podcast? No. So that's the thing in my life, it's the new thing. Okay. Right? So it's, we have the first season. So it's not, it's, not just me, it. it's, just, it's not just me talking, yeah. it's, it, it's produced, it's like, it's like a book, but yeah. in, in radio form, uh, an audio form. Um, and the first, the second episode is about the consumer financial protection. Their individual lives, that are being totally destroyed because there isn't someone there to essentially act as a referee in this in this relationship. Um, and now, that's different than a nuclear bomb going off when it shouldn't go off, but it's still really bad. I mean, I think bad things are happening, just not to you or me. Yeah. <laughs> right? I think that's... Yeah. I think if you were an immigrant, you might say this has been a catastrophe. Yeah. If you... I don't know if you were a uh, <laughs> if you were on that Boeing plane that went down. Yeah, it's now been recalled because because the regulators actually weren't doing their job. Uh-huh. You might say this is a catastrophe, but there's a little local catastrophe. Yes, there hasn't been a grand national catastrophe. 
Um, well, and then, I mean, I think when the first hurricane, was it Doria? Doria? The one that hit Houston? Houston, yeah. Right. And I think everybody was sort of, there was almost this anticipation that Trump was going to get it wrong so badly. Right. And then actually, you know, maybe he hammed it up too much. Right. Yeah. But it didn't, it, yeah. the response was, was but adequate. If, but if Puerto Rico. If you go to Puerto Rico and ask them, has this administration been doing its job well? They did say this has been a catastrophe. But, mm. but, but this is, you know, when the election was happening, I think this is generally true. There should be a rule that the only people that are allowed to vote in an American presidential election are non-citizens. Yeah. The rest of the world should decide who the American president is because it's the rest of the world that pays the price. Americans are pretty pretty good at taking care of themselves. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and the, the power of Trump to screw up people's lives who are American citizens is, is you can't do it as quickly. Yeah, in terms of least popular democratic ideas, yeah. that can't <laughs> run pretty high. Yeah. Gonna... I don't think it's going to happen, but, but it's, uh, 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 I mean, if you had a vote right now, Trump versus generic Democrat, it's, it's kind of a dead heat on paper right now in America. Mm. It depends on when you ask people or who you ask, but if you had that vote outside of America, even if you let all the Chinese people, Chinese people have to vote what they actually wanted to vote. You could, the government couldn't make them vote. Yeah. I bet it'd be 90 to 10. Yeah. Don't you think? Out yeah, I didn't 85 to 50. Yeah. If you put, our, if Trump had to run against uh, just a generic Democrat in Britain right now, yeah. how many people do you think would vote for Trump? I think, uh, well, I think Brits are sort of conditioned into thinking Trump's evil in a way that okay. Americans aren't. Yeah. France. Same thing. Same thing, yeah. I mean, he'd lose ever apart from Israel, right? That's yeah. probably right. Yeah. In Israel, it might be close. Yeah. Maybe Russia. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, but speaking of podcasts, I was just wondering, we can start again and do like a 10-minute one now, but I was hoping to use this recording as a podcast. Sure. If that's okay. Right. Yeah, I'll cut that bit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, sorry, where were we? No, no, no. My <laughs> podcast. Okay. Right, let, me oh, yeah. tell you about, let me tell you about the podcast. It's called Against the Rules. And uh, I did it because I have... Do you know Jacob Weisberg? Uh, you know yeah, I know, of, I know So of, Jacob's yeah. a really good friend. Yeah. As is Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. And Jacob and Malcolm were going to start a podcast company. They have now. And they asked me if I'd be the first guinea pig. Um, and Malcolm swore it wasn't much work. That was a lie. It was a lot of work. But... But he, he did say you're not going to be you're not going to believe the audience that you will get, and we've had I was just looking at the numbers six million actual full listens to episodes, which is you know ten times what a book does yeah. in the first whatever it is seven or eight months for a brand new thing. Yeah. Um, well, I saw at the end here you put podcast to your to your agent or your publisher or your editor. Let's see. Oh, right. Was a, <laughs> yes. Because yes. they're saying, what, what are you going to, they're asking me, because I just started doing the second season. Yeah. And it has absorbed some time. Uh, I'll do both. Yeah. It's different. It's a different thing. It's it, the, 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 the material that works for a podcast is different from the book material. Yeah. I, none of the stuff I did the first season could I ever imagine doing as a book. Uh, and so, the, so it's not, it's not threatening to, it's not threatening to my writing life. Yeah. But it's been a really interesting experience. And the emotional response, you know, do you, when you do your podcast, it's your voice on it, right? Yeah. Do you have people talk to you about it? 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm always struck that um, uh, they you know, people they know say, you. oh, they, uh, it's interesting to hear your, I mean, mine's not very popular, but, you know, the people that have listened to it go, oh, it's funny to hear your voice because I've heard it so many times. They feel the they know you. Yeah. You, and you're with them in private moments. They're in their car by themselves. Yeah. They're in the bathtub, whatever yeah. it is, and they associate you. It's as if you were there, you'd actually been there. Yes. And so the response is that it's a very different, of a diff very, very different character than this, because it's just more intimate. Um, do you write a Do you write a script? Yes. It's like yeah. a It's like a movie script. Yeah. And and I have had to learn how to perform them, which yeah. I thought was just read it. But there's a podcast editor who's very good at this and what things sound like. Who's all all in my kitchen about how that was bad. That wasn't. You got to do this over and over and over. Yeah. And they're 18, my podcast editor is going to be livid about about this. It's acoustic. <laughs> well, there, there are 18 different ways you can say any line, you know. And mm. the first thing I said when I was started to read, they asked me to read Christine throughout the show, and I said, uh, "I'm Michael Lewis, and this is against the rules." She stopped. She goes, "Wait." said, are you happy being Michael Lewis? You don't sound happy. You're excited about against You don't sound excited. We're going to do this all over again. So did you overcorrect? Yeah, a little bit. Hi, I'm Michael Lewis. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. But it was just, it was, it was, uh, it's been, it's been a, it's been a really wonderful experience. Uh, doesn't pay that well, but it's, doesn't pay badly. Yeah. Well, with six million, that's got to be monetizable. No, eventually it's monetizable. Yeah. That's right. Um, but I, going back to Trump, and uh, one thing I'm obsessed with is, is the impeachment, uh, like a lot of people are, the impeachment stuff. I mean, I don't know what you think about the rights and wrongs of, of, of Ukraine Gate, for example. But I think it seems to me, especially reading your book, that this is such a distraction. If you want to criticize Trump, Ukraine Gate, impeachment, Russia Gate as well. It's a huge distraction from the obvious failings of a Trump administration. You know, it could be Medicare, it could be... You would think you'd be impeached by this. Yeah. But the problem is that's not against the law. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so being a bad, being an indifferent to the advantage of the government you're supposed to manage yeah. is, an, is not an impeachable offense. No. So you're, you're right. It's like getting Capone on a parking ticket. Yeah. Is what it feels. It does feel that way. Yes. And everybody's starting to smell that. Uh, and even worse, they're not going to get it. I mean, they'll well, get they'll impeach, but they won't. So it's like a, it, everybody's lost in, is losing interest because because the story has already is already written. Everybody knows the ending. There's no suspense or drama. He'll be impeached. He will not be removed from office. And the funny thing is going to be like three months later when Gallup goes out and asks, someone's going to occur to someone to ask the American people. Was Donald Trump impeached or not? And people are not going to know. <laughs> they're not going to, because they're not going to know what it means. Yeah. Everybody's always thought it, when people say he's got to be impeached, they really mean he's got to be removed from office. Yeah. But impeach is just insult. Yes. It, it, they're not saying, it, it, so the, the Democrats will insult him. The Senate will, will prevent the insult from becoming injury. And, uh, and we'll move on and people won't remember was he insulted or not. Uh, this is what I don't understand is the drive to do the Democrats to do it. Is no, I understand. I understand it, the, and the, the the everybody and his brother is worried about norms, about allowing themselves to think things are acceptable that they previously thought were um, 
were completely unacceptable. And the way Trump shifts this whole process, everybody, everybody, so they're worried about the degradation of the democracy and they don't want a precedent where they said, oh, this was okay. Yeah. So when the next guy comes along, he's got to know that if he calls up the Ukraine and says, you're not going to get foreign aid unless you start meddling in our election and helping me, you can blackmail people or bribe them, um, that, that he's got to know that that's not good. But do you think the Democrats have been guilty of breaking norms themselves in an attempt to to reassert norms? You know, I think... Oh, this is... I don't think this is a break with norms. I mean, no. this is a much less... I mean, you think what Bill Clinton did was worse than this? Uh, I think Bill Clinton did worse things, not, yeah, not about... Not no, Monica you know, Lewinsky. Then Monica Lewinsky, yeah. Right, right. I mean, Serbia was on email. Well, the impeachment is always going to be you're on a park. I mean, the, yeah. the, 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 the tapes, the, the problem was the cover, right? Yeah. Um, but also, it, it obviously helped Clinton in terms of his presence. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why the Democrats seem to think... So as a political question, Yeah. I don't think it matters. I think right now it looks like, oh, maybe this is going to bounce Trump away. I don't think it's going to matter because I think everybody's just going to forget about it. Yeah. I really do. I think they're going to. So I don't. I think it's noise. I think that it's a mistake to think this is an important moment. But do you think it's a mistake in that politically a mistake in that? I don't think it matters. All this noise about impeachment, and there could be noise about what's happening at the department. Well, of- I do understand. I do think that. Um, it's, I do think that if you could make noise that people would listen to about what's happening in the Department of Energy or wherever, that that would be very useful. The problem is people don't want to hear it. Yeah. They, they, it, it you would have to be a really good salesman to sell the American people on the government right now. Yeah. And there's no, it's not, you're not going to get on cable news with it. You're not going to get, you're just not going to get attention for the story. It, it's hard, It's a hard story to bring attention to. Mm. So while it would be in theory more useful to channel energies that way, and there's a part of me that's a little surprised, a little surprised that no candidate has emerged for the presidency who's actively kind of selling the government and explaining what the price of Trump. Uh, there's a part of me that understands it. it's complicated. And, it, and, and the media environment is not a, not a, not one that encourages a complicated conversation. Well, let's talk about twenty twenty. What? Which of the candidates do you? Th- I mean, who do you think is going to win the Democratic nomination? So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I really don't know. So I can name the name. So here, let's do it this way. If you. Pulled up the bookies, their odds. You'd actually bet money on this, right? No. And given current odds, um, I'd bet on Elizabeth Warren. Okay. I take those odds. Yeah. I like her odds better than anybody else's odds. Um, Elizabeth Warren with Buttigieg because he's short as her, <laughs> as the vice president. Yeah. And they look at the, so, and then you have lots of people very upset that saying, oh, look at the parallels with Britain. They had a loony lefty. She's not a loony lefty. She, got, she, she ran off the rails with her healthcare idea, but, um, but she actually understands lots of things. And I don't, she's not, she's, she understands the power of markets. Yeah. She just thinks they have their place. 
I suppose the criticism of her would be that she's a bit phony and that she pretends to be more lefty or more loony lefty than she actually is. Uh, so I don't think that's true. No. So, but, but... Do you think Obama so would endorse... So, so Biden, is, Biden is the obvious answer to, like, who's the most likely right now? It's Biden. No. And Obama... Obama will endorse anyone. Yeah. Any of the Democrats who get the nomination are fine. Uh, of course. They are, it's all, this is all watching the Democrats watching this this is a this is a bad period because there's so many of them and the the mere presence of all this choice makes everybody like them less when I was doing the Kahneman Tversky book the undoing project I didn't end up in the book but there were people who were kind of disciples of theirs who did these studies in supermarkets of, of, you know the jam study you know it? No. The jam study, they were, they were studying consumer behavior and satisfaction, given uh, lots of choice versus little choice. And when you put three jams in the supermarket, three different kinds of jam, uh, people both bought more jam and were happier with the jam they bought than when you put 30 different kinds of jam. When you put 30 different kinds of jam, people start making invidious, more invidious comparisons and they have higher expectations of what the jam is supposed to deliver. It's supposed to be the perfect jam. So there's build, you're building like the possibility of regret into it. Whereas yeah. if it's just good enough jam, it's good enough jam and they like the jam better. We're at the 30 jam stage of the Democratic primary. There's too much choice. Everybody's thinking about what they don't like about this one versus once it shrinks down, when there's just one, it's going to feel, I think the election is going to feel like an entirely different thing. And the, the difference is fairly small differences between the various Democrats um, are going to just, people are going to, people will forget what they were. And it's going to be Trump versus this, yes. whatever this is. And, um, and I think Trump's going to lose. And I think Trump's going to lose because uh, I think that the, once you remove the Clinton problem, Hillary Clinton was a particularly problematic candidate, and easily, um, if you're if you're if you're trying to um, run on anger and the cynicism of the electorate, she's the perfect candidate. Mm. Um, he's not going to be able to do that against any of these other ones. None of them are. None of them have this degree of corruption. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, so. I think, and I think that the passions of the hatred of Trump now exceed whatever so the passion of whatever support he has. So, do you think um, Obama would prefer Warren to Biden? I doubt that. You think he's pretty tight with Biden? I think he, I think he really liked Biden. Yeah. Um, I think, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't I'm not speaking from knowledge. I, if, if I had to guess. He's very fond of Biden and could see many worse things than Biden being president and would be very happy to... I'm sure that that's, that he'd be all in with Joe Biden. But, um, but Biden has this long... No, if I, had, I was going to say, if I, if I had to guess, his, his view is probably any of them will be. Yeah. You know, yeah. it doesn't much matter. Yeah. And Biden, the problem with Biden is how old he is. Yes. I mean, that really is the biggest problem with Biden. He's you, you, he's noticeably aged, and when he's have you watched any of the debates? I have. Been, yeah. You can see. I mean, he's he's manifesting old age in yes. a way that Trump doesn't. Yeah. 
uh, and that could change. Mm -hmm. Trump could start seeming older too. But Biden's the one candidate that seems old, and he's not. Even, I don't even think he's the oldest. Bernie, I might be older than him. Yeah, right? He's a year younger than Bernie. Yeah, but he doesn't seem a year younger than Bernie. No, and it, and I mean he's got a long record in government, and there's lots of things. You know, you were talking about personal debt and stuff. I mean, he he was a sort of. He effectively lobbied for the credit card industry for a long time. So you know, I mean, the, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. Is that stuff. Yeah. He's got, a, he's got a history. Yeah. Which Warren doesn't. No. I mean, a much, much, much uh, shorter paper trail. Yeah. But maybe with a one-term president, you don't need a change candidate. Right. The same. I'm going to go. I got to go in a second. Okay, yeah. I got to well, go look at my coins. It was a great pleasure. Yeah. And Thanks um, for making the time. No, not at all. And thanks for these. No, not at all. I hope, uh, I hope you like them. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite. 